everybody and welcome to this brand new IT security podcast. Every episode we'll be looking at elements of the SOC or security operations, but also conversations with various different guests looking at other areas within the IT industry. You're listening to SOC Tales. I'm top 9% on TriHackMe and I don't even know how to open a terminal. I was really hesitant when we set up Discord. Tell me about sex <laughs> The GDPR stuff can be the bane of my existence sometimes. My name's Matt Ford and I'm your host and welcome to episode three. So this is going to be slightly different to what we were looking at in uh, the first two episodes in the fact that this uh, podcast is being released on what we call Bloom Monday. So this is the Monday in January where is often seen as one of the most darkest and, and possibly kind of depressive days of the year. People's New Year resolutions have been put to one side, uh, credit card bills have come in, where there's rubbish. But then also we're looking at the job aspect of it, which is why I wanted to do this recruitment special. Mental health is a is a very complex topic and not something that we're going to concentrate on as part of this particular episode. But what I did want to do is with people losing their jobs due to redundancy, but also hiring managers having positions out there that they're looking to fill, I wanted to put this particular podcast episode together with the help of the fantastic Rosie Anderson from Honeypot Digital uh, and also Patrick Bale uh, at Palo Alto Networks to give an overview of what it's like from the recruitment side, what it's like from the hiring manager side, uh, but then also, hopefully, with my viewpoint, what it's also like on the third uh, tier of that, I guess, the third point of that triangle um, to, to be able to offer some of those questions and some of those commentary. The episode's a little bit longer than we normally do. It's just touching on an hour, but there's some very important content in there that I think is well worth a listen. Uh, so uh, before uh, I, uh, I carry on rambling too much, um, here's the interview. Now it's time for the interview stage. We've got two fantastic guests on. And as I said in the intro, and this is going to be a recruitment special. Uh, I think at the start of the year, I think it'll be good to go through uh, looking at recruitment on both sides. And uh, first of all, we've got uh, Rosie Anderson, who uh, is not only one of the co-founders of B-Size Lancashire, uh, also the head of mentoring at Caps Lock, um, but the director of uh, Honeypot Digital Recruitment Firm. Uh, and then <clears throat> my other guest, we've got Patrick Bale, a 20-year industry veteran. Uh, he hasn't paid me to say that, uh, including 10 years at HSBC, and he once did appear on the BBC. Uh, and for transparency, he's also my manager. Uh, so we've got um, hopefully both sides of the, the recruitment conversation here and really like to go through some of the things that we can we can kind of see uh, and help both the hiring managers and the, the candidates. So both of you, welcome to Socktails. Thank you for having us. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you very much. So, uh, Rosie, we'll, we'll start with you. I'll give you a bit of a brief intro there, uh, but if you could uh, just kind of run through a little bit about yourself and, and some of the roles that you've got, and then we'll move on to, to, to Paddy. Yeah, so I also have 20 years experience, but my experience is in recruitment. Um, only seven years has been in cyber, but 20 years tech recruitment. I do head up industry mentoring. You were right there for Capslock, which is a cyber bootcamp. And yes, uh, I'm co-founder of Besides Lancashire. 
pretty busy. I'm also a working parent, so a big advocate for working parents, flexibility. And I think that's that's one of the things that we're seeing at the minute, diversity in the industry, not just gender diversity, but people coming in from different industries, different skill sets, and bringing what we need in into the industry. Fantastic. Uh, Paddy, I mean, I know you fairly well, uh, obviously being, being my manager, uh, pre-sales engineering manager at, at Palo Alto Networks. A um, little bit of an intro to yourself? Yeah, you've you've done me a, a solid uh, one. So I will send you that money. Thank you very much. Um, yeah, I, I I play the role of a of a team leader or, or manager now for a technical team of which you are one of seven, uh, eight including myself. We work alongside sales of which we have I think fourteen sales reps that we as pre-sales support them on customer engagements. Um, and yeah, been managing for about three years, but I've uh, probably been doing playing a role in recruitment for roles for maybe the last six or seven years. But I've done mentoring both in work and partnering up with with Rosie as well, working uh, working with with Capslock, doing some mentoring there as well. That's great, thank you. And I believe you still have your notes from when you interviewed me for the role, so. Uh, no doubt you'll bring those out at, at some point. I mean, one of the first things I kind of wanted, wanted to touch on, um, and probably for you, Rosie, is the, the number of roles that are kind of available. Do we normally see this trend? I mean, I kind of put this podcast together at the start of the year because there's often this trend that people hit January. Uh, they get the Christmas and the New Year break out of the way. They get a little bit frustrated with their job. They start looking for other things or uh, budgets change from a hiring manager uh, perspective. Do you normally see this as, as kind of the busiest time of time of the year? Or? Um, next Monday is Blue Monday, which is where everyone's like, January, this is grim. I hate my job. I'm going to take my life. I'm going to have my notice in. Um, it's a scientific day now, I think. Blue Monday, this is the, mo- the day of most notices go in. But January, there is always change. People are planning out their year. They're planning out, um, you know, their hiring. We have seen, started to see redundancies. Um, some SOC teams have been disbanded. Some businesses have, are, are disbanding. Typically, not necessarily the more technical security teams. It is um, IT teams or um, SOC that are outsourcing it to an MSSP, for example, in a cost-saving exercise. So there is churn this time of the year. There's there's more activity, there's more candidates. But actually, interestingly, when I'm speaking to my senior candidates who have got experience, not entry level, any with anything from security architecture, security engineers, uh, security managers, they're telling me that they were getting calls and interviews were happening between Christmas and New Year. And the very first week back, they were getting many, many calls. It's really buoyant out there. And I did... Um, some stats for you. I did a search on LinkedIn for cybersecurity jobs in the UK, because obviously typically we cover the UK markets. At the minute, there's 36,700 roles live with the title cybersecurity. Stock is 3,000 of them, over 3,000. Security engineer is over 11,000 of them. So cyber manager is over 7,000 of them. So there's definitely activity. And I don't think I think cyber, to a degree, will be recession-proof. I think what we will see, and when we talk about skill shortage, is entry-level roles. People might not be investing in as much training, so those entry-level roles will still be very heavily competed. What they want is experienced talent, and what we always see is nobody wants, or not nobody wants, but 
when people are coming to a recruitment agency, they're saying, I want two years experience. I'm paying you a fee to find me top talent. And in, in my opinion, that can be quite short-sighted. If you're recruiting for a number of roles and you want to hire a number of people, you're trying to solve the immediate problem instead of developing and training your own people. You're stealing somebody else's training. You're you're taking somebody with two years experience who's been trained elsewhere. And why would somebody like that then decide to move? They've been invested in, they're loyal to that company unless something's happened. And that's where the shortage is. That's where recruiters make our money about finding that experienced talent and you can see that from the number of jobs the junior stock analyst I put that in and there was maybe 40 junior cyber role there was maybe 100. So do you think when we talk about the shortage of talent within the industry do you think it is more those kind of entry level do you think that, that some of the expectations maybe from the hiring manager side is not is not quite right are they are they not wanting to necessarily invest in in the training? I mean, I guess we can touch a little bit on the caps lock stuff because because that can kind of lead into that. Um, yeah, it'd be interesting to get your view on, on on that side of things as well. I I don't think we have a shortage of people who want to get into the industry at all. And if we are bringing new skills in, new diversity diversity of thought, new people in. In two years' time, we're going to fall off a cliff edge. There's only so many people that can keep moving around. And actually what happens with the salaries is those salaries go up because nobody moves for like two grand more, do they, realistically? It's the average I'm seeing is £10,000 more, especially with cost of living, crisis, everything else is going up. Um, We're just inflating those salaries. They're getting higher and higher if we're not bringing new people in. And we're doing the right thing in bringing people in boot camps and training and graduates. You know, there's plenty of opportunity for people to learn those skills. I actually think it's it's a, it's an expectation shortage or a, um, a strategy shortage of how are we going to develop these people and get them working effectively in our business as quickly as possible. So, yes, you can spend, you know, six months trying to hire a threat intelligence expert when there's a handful who might be potentially looking at any one time or why, you, you know, bring bring a contractor in or bring that person in, but then also task them with developing the next pipeline of people into your business. You know, add that into, into the, the equation of what you're bringing somebody in to do. I think what we do see is, uh, and at the minute I am seeing a contract heavy market we needed somebody yesterday and obviously if you have you if you have a breach you have a scan a problem as a security threat you, you can't necessarily wait six months to bring somebody in you go to a, a consultancy to bring somebody in or you bring in a contractor or if you're implementing a new solution but actually we need to look at it not as an immediate short it needs to be a strategy rather than a knee-jerk reaction to i have a problem i need to fix it now it needs to be a long-term recruitment strategy if your plan is to grow um you know, 10, 15, 20, 30 people in a, in a, in a year. Mm-hmm. I, I had a, I, I had a quick look at, at some of, um, some of the jobs that were available uh, over the past couple of days on LinkedIn. And I can see that you can see the number of applicants that have applied yeah. through that. And some of these were, were a, a, a wide range of jobs, but they were two, three, 400 applicants for mm-hmm. these, for these jobs, which, I, I I don't know kind of which way that kind of leans, you know, whether we do have kind of that skill shortage or whether people are looking out there. I mean, maybe kind of a question for, for Paddy as well. Sorry, Rosie, go on. The number of applicants is deceptive. And I say this to the caps lockers. So as somebody who advertises jobs on LinkedIn, you might get 100 applicants. But if you, you, you know, 
when you go through the quality of those, have they got a right to work in the UK? Have they got the skills? Um, it's not a true reflection of the number of, it might be a true reflection of the number of people who are looking for jobs, but not necessarily for that skill set. So I will just sort of caveat that. Um, it's, yeah, but I agree. If, if you're advertising a junior role, you're going to get hundreds of applicants. And actually, if you're advertising a junior security analyst role, is the best way to review that talent looking at the CVs. Because what are you looking for? Is the best way to assess talent that way, looking at uh, a technical assessment? Because that, or giving them a task to write, um, or giving them, you know, some questions to go through, something that can you can filter their knowledge by setting them a task to showcase their knowledge or showcase their understanding of SOC frameworks or whatever, GRC risk frameworks, rather than a two-dimensional CV for a junior role. Because all those applicants you do have to get back to. And if you don't get back to them, you'll, you know, you will leave a bit of a sour taste in their mouth when they when when they've got two years experience and you want to hire them, they'll remember you never came back to them. Yeah, yeah. I mean, on the first episode, we had Sean and Amy at Capture Talent. I know you you know those guys well. And, and one of the things that, that they were saying as well is <clears throat> being able to have something that they can give some practical demonstration to people to be able to go off and, and, and do the jobs. I feel like I should kind of bring Paddy in a little bit here because he's kind yeah, of sitting sorry. there a little bit quiet. No, it's fine. Um, but I know we've had a couple of new hires into the team fairly recently. Um, what are you seeing from maybe kind of like the number of applicants or the or the, the quality of applicants? Are you having to, to really go out and hunt these or are they falling on the on the doorstep and, and and you having loads and loads of different cvs to kind of filter through yeah i think it really depends um so last year i did some did some research for you for you matt Thank for you. your podcast <laughs> which i'm a keen subscriber of um i i had i did 22 interviews last year um that's me interviewing people not not me trying to get a job um obviously for people in this team i hired three people into into our team um i think they're all one was a replacement, but two were were growth positions. And then I, I interview people for you know sales roles and get, get how how they're going to interact with yourself and our team. Um, and it, it, we, I'm finding myself having to keep a, a constant eye on LinkedIn and and engaging with people either at shows, which are starting to happen again, um, or networking to build a hiring pipeline. It's really difficult sometimes because some think you know this they, they, they think I'm a I'm a, I'm a scumbag sales recruiter. Um, not my terminology, but that's hey, hey, hey. Really. <laughs> but that's that. I mean, you get it as well, right? You know, yeah. probably the five messages I send. You know, I try and give a representation of myself. Hey, I'm not a sales guy. I'm not a recruiter. I'm someone who's looking to build my network and consider you for future roles. Would you be open to that? And I, I mean, I reckon I get one out of five responses, which is, which is tough because you know I'm working in one of the biggest cybersecurity vendors in the world, working with cool tech. I'd love, I'd love, had loved someone to reach out to me five years ago and give me that sort of opportunity to network them. Some people are really up for it, and you know, there's ongoing dialect there. But back your question, Matt, like, you know, with the the talent shortage, a lot of the time it is people are looking to jump for that ten percent increase, ten grand increase, whatever it is, and so it's a race to the top. You know, oh, I'm, I'm on a hundred grand now, I want 110 there, I want 120 there, I want 130 there, and it's not sustainable. Uh, you know, we big employers like like ours and say the big big um, service providers the pwcs the ibms they are you know in in universities recruiting young so they can obviously pay less but help um, shape that person's um, career and train them the way they they want to train them on their products and their solutions the way they operate 
Um, so something has to change. You know, keeping a hiring pipeline is great, but we can't just keep 10x, you know, putting 10% on everything. Um, and, uh, you know, Rosie said something. And I, I read a blog, someone had recruited someone into cyber who they met at Starbucks because they were, you know, giving them good customer service. They were listening to them and providing solutions. Oh, I want a drink. You know, that can apply to what we do. You know, effectively, we're listening to customers. So why are we fishing in the same pond? And, you know, we have recruiters who, you know, I said, I've got a job opening. Give me give me 10, 10 candidates. And they'll come up with, you know, I think they just do control F, um, sales engineer app, insert vendor here that's not parallel to networks and come back with this. I'm like, well, that guy's, you know, he's been there 20 years. Is he going to want to jump? That girl there, um, I'm not, you know, you, you've just looked for cyber and it's something completely different. So is it, um, the, the whole recruitment, like Rosie's been doing this seven years, but when I started, when we started, I had some real pain getting through to the right people because there was no real understanding of well, what does a good cybersecurity analyst, as I was at the time, look like. Um, so it's it, it's been a, a a problem, I think, for a long period of time. That you know we've seen specialist recruiters like Rosie's crew, you know, more of them, which which is a good thing for the industry, I think. So do you think? I mean, we I get approached on LinkedIn all the time, um, and the, the by my initial by I'll let you know. The, the initial approach that I had before I joined joined Paolo was over LinkedIn. It was one of the SE directors dropped dropped me a message. I said, no, I'm fine doing what I'm doing. Speak to me in six months. He came back to me in six months and I've ended up ended up in the role. Um, so there's a number of different ways in which you can kind of be, be, be approached. I've also seen a lot of adverts for job roles where they just have no agencies in big, bold yep. letters at the bottom. Because, I mean, I've had a few bad experiences with, with recruitment agencies. I've had a couple of good ones, thankfully. But there, there seems to be this kind of feeling that, again, they're kind of like that bit like scumbag salespeople. They'll go out there. They just want to get the commission. They don't really care about who they're placing in with particular particular job roles. They just want to get the commission check. You know, it might be, I don't know, what, 10% of starting salary for, for a fee or whatever it may be, random number in the air. Um, so I think, I mean, Rose, it'd be interesting to get your view on this because I feel like a lot of the recruitment agencies get a really, really bad rep when they're actually doing some really good work, but they just kind of felt like commission chasers and kind of ambulance chasers. Is that fair? Um, we're definitely not commission chasers. I think it, we are well paid, but the only way we get paid is if we place somebody in a role. Mm-hmm. It's like anything. Any industry has got good and bad people. I can name you four or five really good cyber recruiters who are my competitors that I speak to regularly, and they're the people that you will see embedded in industry. You'll see them at the conferences. We spend a lot of time building our networks. And like you said, with the control F, being able to find a good, being able to know the difference between a vulnerability analyst, pen tester, a security engineer. There's so many new buzzwords. It's not just control F to try and find somebody. And also people don't call themselves on LinkedIn a penetration chester. They call themselves a security consultant, a SecOps engineer and a security engineer and a cybersecurity engineer that, you know, we have so many catch-all titles. You really need to understand, um, you know, I'm not saying I could ever be a penetration tester, but you need to understand the differences. And you get that from having a few grey hairs. Um, I think I spend a lot of time helping people get into the industry. Well, that's why I give that time to Capstock. I don't charge uh, for placing entry people in, in roles at all. Um, and a lot of the people that I'm friends with who are competitors in other industries do the same. You know, we do care about fixing this problem. It isn't going to be sustainable forever. We are seeing now uh, with redundancies, rather than seeing cyber redundancies, we're seeing talent acquisition people, like a uh, um, fancy word for recruiter, um, 
those types of people who are now being made redundant. And businesses are thinking, well, I'm not going to be hiring. So actually, I'm going to get, get rid of those talent teams. And that will be a struggle for businesses to recruit when it does change again, when there is a project that you've got to hire for. And that's where agencies that are worth their salt and recruiters that are worth their salt will will be able to capitalise because there won't be internal teams. If it was on you solely, Paddy, to recruit for your team, if you didn't have a HR team, you've got a day job to do. Yes, you're doing the right thing. You're building out and you're reaching out into the networks. You're networking. And any company that is hiring should have their teams being visible at events. Uh, just besides Lancashire's coming up, if anyone's interested. Um <laughs> But also should be out there in there's, there's d- different communities. There's there is Capslock, there's DC groups, there's OWASP, there's loads of different communities. And actually, that's where you find people who aren't just responding to a LinkedIn message. Because if you're not interested at that time, you'll just ignore that message. If you're at an OWASP event or what or a, a DC event and you're chatting to someone, oh, it's really cool what you're doing at Palo Alto. Yeah, I'm hearing about this. I'm not thinking about a job right now, but I'm hearing about. Palo Alto, all the cool shit that you guys are doing. Yeah, I'm interested in that. And even if you're not actively looking, that's the way you get someone's interest. Um, I speak to people, obviously, all the time, not about recruitment. I might be talking to them about Capstock. I might be talking to them about conferences. I might be meeting them. I'm not, my initial conversation with someone isn't, hey, are you looking for work? It's, are you enjoying your job? Tell me about the cool shit that you're doing. Because either way, I can help you and help you find something if you're not happy in work. And I might be able to help you find talent. And I do a lot of stuff for free. Like with Capstock, if I know, uh, like Steve Trippier was recruiting for Angling Water, I spread that out into the Capstock group. But these are newbies that are trying to get in. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm help. I'm helping. I'm helping people. They're going to remember that in two, three, four years' time. Who helped them? And I'd rather be a helper than a gatekeeper. And a lot of my competitors, like in Tarzo, um, the guys that are in Tarzo are great. Um, there's Natasha at Cyber Talent Partners. There's, there's um, InfoSec people. There's some really, really good recruiters. And we don't sit there and like all, you know, growl at each other. We're actually, uh, if we see each other at events, we're like, hey, how are you? Yeah, that client's a dick. <laughs> yeah, everybody knows this. Because actually, there's, there's two ways where a recruiter can help you. I will know of places where there is a toxic culture. And there isn't a great environment and there is a big turnover of staff. So particularly for the newbies that are coming into the industry, I want to help them as well by saying, yeah, OK, these are places to be aware of. The culture might be a little bit like this. It's not for everybody. I'm never going to like completely slag somebody off, but I'll make sure they're aware that they're not going into an environment that is toxic. And there are there'll be places that you 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 will know, I'm sure people don't go there or people don't, don't like working there or people don't last. That's the insight I can help with people. Yeah. I, I think what you said there is uh, certainly about the networking side, I think is a, is a really, really good point because I think for a lot of the approaches I get and I kind of, as Paddy was was saying there with the control F is that, you know, someone will approach me at a particular vendor and go, oh, we got a pre-sales role. Would you like to come and work for us? It's like, why? I've, I've got that yes. job where I am. Why are you not yeah. trying to offer something else and some kind of enticement in order to move that isn't just an extra 10 grand which would be nice of course but paddy would be nice of course um but it's 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 more the role and i don't know whether that's necessarily the stage of the career i'm in obviously i'm not early early stage career now um so it's more about the job role side of things but it does seem to be like that talent pool it either seems quite small or there's no real kind of inventive way that people are going out and trying to find 
uh, other talent. So what you're saying there about networking, the B-size groups, the, the DC groups, because um, I, I go to the one in Leeds, um, the, all these various different events, even if you're wandering around InfoSec, right, just yeah. go and have those communications with, with, with people. And, and, and It's either uh, InfoSec or it's the bar afterwards, isn't it? That's, that's where a lot of like the networking's done. Um, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And actually, it's that's always my question. So those people who want to hire two years experience, um, if they're coming to me and say, I want some more two years experience, wh- why are they going to leave to join you? What What are you doing that's great? What are you doing that's better than your competitors? What Why? What is your you know EVP, employer value proposition? It's But it's not just about the employer. It's the project. It's the work. It's the management style. It's more than just a, a I'm going to keep going in your phrase, troll F, being able to match the right person to the right job. It's not just the skills, it's the environment, it's the work, it's the mission that you're on. As security professionals, we like to solve problems. I think adverts should talk about the problems that need to be solved, the challenges that you're coming in to fix. Instead of the five years experience of this and three years experience of that and 20 years of experience of a tool that's only been out for 10 years, um, if we positioned it as inquisitive, like these are the challenges that we have, we want you to come in and help us fix these challenges, that would pique people's interest. One of the things that I've done with clients as well is if, they ha- if they're if building a new team, for example, to do a video interview between me and my client that talks about, like like we are now, you'll get so much more if, my, if somebody's coming in to work for you too, you get so much more from having a video of a conversation you, you get so much more about the culture the team the people that you're going to be working with from a conversation than a two-dimensional job spec or a job advert which should be different a couple of things that people pick up on on linkedin and i see a bit on social media from a recruitment job advert perspective and i, and I want to come on to things like interview stages and, and that kind of kind of thing but two things that wind people up is there's no salary listed and often there's no company name. So you'll get a, a an approach from a recruitment agent and say, we've got this job, this is the job title, but we're not going to tell you who it's with. Well, for most people, surely they're just going to mm. just going to say, like, okay, look, we're, we're not interested. Is that, again, is that a, a fair comment? I know you'd probably have contractual elements with, oh, no, with I your clients. <laughs> okay, brilliant. Um, <laughs> so if, I, if, I, if I'm going to message somebody who I don't know, I'll send them a message, hi, um, are you interested in hearing about roles? I've got a couple of different things. Go and have a conversation. And if they come back and say, okay, what are the roles? I'll send them a link to the job adverts. And once they're engaged, I'll tell them who those clients are. I'm not going to email out and say, hey, I'm dealing with Skybet, for example. Um, if I don't know you, it's cold because you're just going to go and apply at Skybet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, once, we, once we've had a conversation, I'll tell you who the client is, obviously. I don't understand why people would do that because how do they know that they're not already in process? Yeah. The salary. of the roles I advertise have a salary on them. I have one client that doesn't like us to disclose the salary. And what I put on there is a wide salary branding, which we're happy to discuss. So I can't Mm. advertise that salary. But as soon as I have a conversation, I can say the salary branding is between X and Y. Um, And I'll I'll always be honest. There's no point not being honest uh, with that salary. It's never just salary. Um, I, I had a conversation with, a somebody that I'm, uh, I'm connected with on LinkedIn. I wouldn't say I know them because see they're advertising for a role. I message them and say, hey, I've got a couple of good candidates. Would be happy to have a chat with you if you're happy to work with agencies. And they came back and said, no, we can't work with agencies. We're doing it. We're doing it ourselves. So I replied back to say, okay, um, here's a, I, I did like a little article about 
talent attraction it's not that hard there's loads of tips in there here's a useful some some useful tips from a recruiter i would advise advertising your salaries because you'll get more applicants the amount of people that i speak to who they've seen a role particularly if you're senior and you're not actively looking you're not going to waste your time applying if there's no salary and it came back and said oh that's just not our policy and my immediate thought was god i don't want to work with you then do i (laughs) I've dodged a bullet there because it's just silly. Why aren't we doing that? Like, okay, there's a SecOps role. You probably know, like, a pre-sales grading. Do you advertise salaries? No, no, no. no. I don't know if we do, do we? No, no, no. Is that openly like the, you know, when I'm conducting into the first day, or either the hiring manager is myself or our talent acquisition team, your your phrase, um, Mm -hmm. posh recruiters. Um, they will get salary expectations, um, and we we're a big company, right? So there's always a, a you know we do c- conduct um, median analysis of the salary yeah. range and that sort of stuff. But generally, I can't think of many people we've hired recently where we have they haven't been referred by somebody. I mean, that's just kind of the way that's the way my last three or four jobs have gone. I haven't applied. Someone said this. Do you want to, this? Sounds like it's for, me, for you. Do you want to do it? Hey, it sounds sounds like a laugh. Let's go. Um, I think it's probably different when you are um, junior. Are we allowed to use that term junior? Newer to industry, um, then, and you're looking for your first or your second break, career break. Um, then it's a lot different. You know, you're you're very. I think you can ascertain how junior the role in finger quotes, which you can't hear, yeah. can't see. Sorry, um, the role is depending on how much they're paying. You know, if I'm looking at the job spec, they all look. Some of them look. You know, you know yourself. Oh. They look really bad. So it's impossible to get. You read it three times ago. I still don't know whether that's for me, whether I'm interested, whether it's sexy, whether it's a, you know, a, a foot in the door or uh, a move up. I I don't know. I, I I don't, yeah. We, I've had like a couple of the cap suckers come to me and say, I've seen this role. Um, what do you reckon salary is? Like, well, it's quite hard to gauge, even yeah. for me as an experienced recruiter, to gauge from the spec. I can, I can give you a ballpark, but until yeah. you speak to them, you won't actually know how senior the role is. Um, and I think the mistake that we make by saying competitive, and mm. I know this, I, if you were looking for a security consultant, you can be looking anywhere from like 40K to 90K. Mm. You know, it depends on how, see, and if, if you're actually open, if you're hiring multiple roles, there's no harm with putting a salary banding of 40 to 90K and putting one job advert out there. A lot of people, typically the people that we want to be applying for our senior roles are people who are already in roles. So we need to attract them, which is why their talent acquisition, they acquire talent for the business. They should have a talent attraction strategy, uh, which isn't just advertising roles, it's networking. And what I say to the cap stockers is the roles that you see advertised as junior, you won't see many of them for a start. You need to be networking because actually you want to find out about those junior roles before they've already gone out to, to advert and there's hundreds of people applying for them. It's the network. It's building that network. It's what's going to get you that first job. And that doesn't stop when you get that first job. The, re- the way you keep progressing within your career, you might stay one company forever. I stayed one company for 15, no, eight, 17 years and I progressed in that company. You, you might say maybe I wasn't that ambitious. I just stayed there forever. I just forgot. But, you know, I worked in recruitment. I should probably go and get myself another job at some point. Um, and but some people have those sorts of careers where you can keep progressing. But typically, you'll find out about the best opportunities and also how good those opportunities from people working there from people who work in those companies. 
So your best talent strategy is people like yourselves, like Matt, who work in the team, going out there and the networking that they're doing. And that can be part of somebody's development, encouraging them to go out, not necessarily just job and like spotting opportunities, spotting great people to work there. But if you really love where you work, you're going to be proud of where you work and you're going to you're going to be shouting about that. You're going to be telling people like what, what a cool job you do, which will naturally attract more people who want to work in cool environments. Yeah. Um, the, the the salary thing's always kind of interested me because for those that don't don't publish the salary or don't necessarily talk about it almost feels like they're trying to con you trying to lowball you from day one it, and we talked a little bit about culture and you mentioned kind of kind of toxic culture in there but do you feel like sometimes that there's still that i mean certainly i've been in the industry 20 years or so as well but as i was coming through it almost felt like all the interviews i had they were doing me a favor just yeah you know we're the we're the best place to work we're we're doing you a favor by even entertaining the idea mm. of talking to you interviews are much more of a two-way process now um or i i hope they are i mean they are with me but again i don't know whether that's because of my stage in the in the career that, that i'm at but for people not to talk about salaries to feel like they could get away with paying somebody 10 grand less than they were actually planning to mm. because they're low ball, low balling on an offer and, and not valuing the staff again do you think do you think that's fair? Have you seen that kind of thing? Or is that changing now within the industry? It's definitely changing. The power is in the candidate's hands, um, 100%. And I regularly see someone's on the market for two weeks. They've got three or four offers. And it, it makes me laugh sometimes when clients are like, what do you mean they've accepted another offer? We haven't finished our interview stage. Like, oh, you expected them to wait. <laughs> like, you needed to get your acting gear. Um, it's particularly experienced people and certain industries threat intel pen testers they're not around for long at all um it's it is in the candidate's interest to find the best role for them and sometimes they'll wait some people are like no i want that first job what i also see is somebody can come on the market who's maybe been somewhere for like five years and they i talk to them and their salary expectations say sixty thousand. By the end of their recruitment processes, when they've been offered 65, 70, 75, they want 75. And sometimes clients will be like, well, they said 60. Like, well, there's so much interest. They've realized how much they're worth and they're getting better offers. But it's not just about salary. Like we said, it's about flexibility, it's about location, and it's about those interesting problems to solve. When you get to a certain point in your career, when, you, when you're on 80,000, in between 80 and 90, it's not. It's not about the money, unless you're massively underpaid than it is. It's about that whole package and feeling valued. If you're if you're looking for work because you you feel devalued where you are or something's changed, you want to be courted. You want to be an old fashioned word there. You want to be, you know, it is a two way street. You've got to be right for them, but you also want to feel excited about this company that you're going to join. And I also see. When the contact stops after the interview, if somebody's got a three-month notice, the best onboarding strategy, which is that piece of getting, you know, you've offered them before they start, all of that is your onboarding. The best strategy, the best clients are the ones that are like, right, well, we're going to have a weekly call with you or weekly WhatsApp. We're going to assign you somebody in the, in the company that you're going to be working alongside to check in. We're going to invite you to socials. You know, you're part of the team. I know you're not technically working for us. We're not going to get you working. But we want to keep that excitement going because if somebody has a three-month notice period, just because you've offered them doesn't mean that all the other people they've interviewed with 
aren't going to offer them. doesn't mean people like me aren't still calling them, offering them, hey, I've spoken to this, well, I've got a really exciting role, which is, that's very trope, isn't it? Uh, <laughs> I've got a client that's doing X, Y, Z. You told me that's what you're interested in. I've got a client who's working, who's building something from scratch. You told me that's what you're interested in. Oh, I've accepted something. Oh, okay, well, what, what have you been offered? 80. I don't know, my clients don't pay 90. There will be people like me that will still keep doing that. Mm-hmm until they start and even after they start they're still not sticky they're still not necessarily enroll until the day that they start until that first week because if you think yourself if you when you've been moving jobs if if you've got a notice period if you've got a gardening period or whatever all that period there's still a lot of doubt there's you know it's a big career move changing jobs is a big career move for people it's you know it can change everything suddenly and particularly in this current environment if we're not that stable as a country world government insert whichever word you want there um people are nervous about it so that hand holding that excitement you've got to keep that excitement going and that again is where a good recruiter and will will do that for you and also make sure that you're doing that hey have you i know you're busy but have you checked checked in with your blogs you know just whatsapp to say hi oh yeah thanks for reminding me that's the sort of thing that we do to get people started do you think sometimes there's kind of like a, a lack of urgency almost kind of a lack of lack of respect i mean one of the things that, that paddy and i talked about yesterday actually as, as kind of prep for this was the number of stages from an interview perspective as an example mm. i think yeah. i had three here which seems about right you know introductory telephone call face to face chat with somebody else as a uh, but we're hearing kind of five six interview stages people taking two three months candidates are not gonna yeah, are not gonna wait, wait. yeah you say that you hear you know you hear the same stories that i do people who go to the big silicon valley tech firms aws facebook or meta whatever they're called today um google there is a five six seven eight interview process i'm hearing of people flying in for from california for an hour to meet with you flying back out because there is a there is a belief that you want to work for that company there's a you know a, a sense of number one earning it having been through that torturous running over the period of being interviewed that many times so there's a feeling of kind of that is my job that's my right there but also they're they're massive companies you know you know if you're thinking like broader than the salary they they, you know they're going to pay well regardless but you know the stuff that comes with it you know the fluffy stuff around the edge like your 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 health care your your days off a week your sleep pods your whatever else it is so there there is definitely more to it than just the salary and I think it's easy for me to say that on you know having been here a while because at the start of my career it was like just any i would take anything whatever it is but i think there is a bell curve because you you do you get to that stage and i've i've rejected offers that are 10 grand you know paying 10 grand more than the, the offer i took when i was you know recruit uh, joining two companies well i was recruit, interviewing for two companies at the same time um and one wasn't i didn't feel it was right for me i could have chased the money and others you know, power to people who do that you know that, that that's fine but it was more about the role, the company, the feeling I got. You know, they wanted to hire me. I get that feeling of oh, let's meet for a coffee. I love that, and I try and try and do that when I'm meeting people. And if if they've accepted an offer with me, you know, check. I don't don't write it down or schedule it. But I just think, oh, I wonder how they're doing. Wonder, how, you know, if they're cooling down. Wonder if they're taking a break off. You know, take a week off, please. Join when you want. We want you on the team. We want you to be here. Um, and I think I don't know what your thoughts are on like the risk of a counter. When I've worked with recruiters in the past, it's always like. And they've you know this is the job you're going for is there a chance of a counter what if they offer you 10x and then mm. extra 10 grand on top what are you going to do and they'll ask me those questions because they want to close the deal with me and i'm like well i'm out like you know, my, my mind is now what on the next challenge it doesn't it's irrelevant to me but people 
do interview for the purpose of getting getting an offer to go to their boss to say, hey, look, I've been offered this elsewhere. I want an increase. Uh, I agree with the counter 100%. Uh, but also, why would you, if you're already halfway out, uh, you know, why why would you ex- why would you then accept a counter? I understand why people do. You know, typically they get promised this is going to change. This is going to change. Oh, we didn't know. And one of the first questions I have when I'm speaking to a candidate is, does your current boss know that you're looking? Is there no opportunity for promotion internally? You know, because typically we do see that where actually they can then go back and think, well, I've spoken to my boss and actually there are opportunities. Um, I think that whole onboarding process, you need to treat people like people. You know, you've got to think what you would like and building that excitement, keeping that excitement going is really important. On the four or five interview stages, um, if you're Google, you can get away with it because you're Google. If you're Joe Bloggs, newbie into the industry, you're going to piss people off. Um, you, they're not going to go through that process with you. They're not going to do your technical test before they've even spoken to you. You need to build up that rapport. So the phone interview or Teams interview first. Then if there's some form of technical test, get them brought in. Unless it's a junior application, then set them an assignment to do maybe record a video of what the role's about so they feel like they've got some FaceTime with you set them assignment to do and then only interview the people who pass that assignment because a it's showing that they've got they want the job they want to do this they're going to go they're going to jump, jump through some of these hoops um there's a there's a massive wealth of people new to the industry who want to get in that's a lot of people to filter through but typically if you consultancy senior manager and above you're talking like three four interview stages but if you are hiring at that level you need to plan right okay i want to hire x amount of people they're going to be on a notice period of at least three months if if it's senior i'm going to do five stage interviews if that's what you really need to do um how about we do a day of interviews we get them through first and second and a day where we do three four and five together because actually time kills deals uh time you know, people aren't hanging around forever unless they really want to work for you. You really want to work for Google, you're going to jump through those hoops. You really want to work for Amazon or, you know, AWS or whoever, you will jump through those hoops. Well, that's where their talent attraction is. Actually, they would they need to whittle people out of the process because probably a lot of people do want to work for Google. They've got the attraction piece right so they can filter as they go through. But if, if you're new into the industry or new hiring, you need to actually be really slick with that attraction piece. Yes, you're filtering and speaking to candidates and figuring out, are they right for you? But at the same time, we've got to remember you're doing a sales job too and selling the company. What are you doing better than your competitors? Why are you a better place to work? What can you offer them as training and development? Can you help them grow a team? Can you offer them certs? Do you have research time? Do you do you have like an unlimited conference budget? You can go to wherever you want to. Expenses policy. You know, particularly for a sales role, what's the expense policy like? Is it really shit? Because <laughs> when you send them the offer, if it is, so, you know, people who read through that will go, hmm, well, we need to start negotiating on some of these things. Asking about, I've never been asked about an expense policy, maybe because we're not, we're not, we're in sales, but we're, we're pre-sales. So maybe it's more of an account manager thing, but I'm not sure how I'd view that. Like, what, why are you asking about the expense policy? Just do your job. Do what you normally do. Like, what? what have you, how have you been burned or what have you been caught out on before? That's. I, I only asked because at one point, a previous employer put our expenses to £5 a day. 
<laughs> and I was in London regularly from like six in the morning to wow. like nine at night. I was like five pound a day. That, that's, that's not even that's a coffee. Something I ask. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's not that's not even a meal deal. No, <laughs> or no. coffee. Yeah. I, yeah. Some, I mean, one of the other things as well, when you're talking about treating people as, as humans, and this is probably a bit of a rhetorical question, but what's your view on, on feedback to people that are not getting roles on, on interviews where they've not been successful? Because there's been a number in, in the past for myself where I've just been complete radio silence. I've, I've got to the face-to-face interview and I've not got the job. I've not heard why. I've not heard anything about it. Um, where, how important do you think that is? I know... If you get 200 applicants, it's, it's going to take up a lot of time. But how important do you think that feedback is? You, you should feedback to anybody who's interviewed with you. You know, you, you if you get, if you get 200 applicants, there's nothing wrong with bulk emailing to 200 applicants back to say, um, you know, we've had a massive response. We have selected for interview. Unfortunately, you've not you've not been selected for interview because at least they can cross it off the list. Um, however, we recommend doing X, Y, and Z. And applying again, you know, keep applying for new roles. Um, if you get an interview, you should 100% get feedback and you should get constructive feedback. I talk about like a no for now approach. Um, if somebody isn't right for you, but you can feedback to say, you're, you know, very constructive feedback. We felt your strengths were here. These were an area of weakness. Or we would have liked to see more about your experience here. Your answers could have been better in this area. We didn't feel you demonstrated enough knowledge of xyz and give some advice you know do apply again it's not a no forever it's a no for now do apply again and maybe do some research in these areas and apply again to us you will get a lot more respect from the clap from the candidate if you if you do that rather than like you say radio silence you can probably remember places that you've interviewed for that if they interview again you probably think well why bother i'm not going to hear from why and it's a small industry um and i think if somebody's done something really bad in an interview someone's been rude or you should probably tell them politely um because if they're doing that in every interview they're going to get really frustrated if there's something that they're doing you know if you you can pull them up on things it is a two-way thing the message might not always be received very well at first but actually when they take away the initial oh and digest that that's actually something constructive everybody should get feedback after an interview we appreciate if you get millions of responses um but i yeah. completely agree like i think again from, from i i think i probably have 50 job interviews that i failed at at the start of my career and and i'll leave it to you to decide whether you think i make a good first impression or not that's not oh, we haven't got enough time to discuss that i'm afraid moving on um but it, it, wanting that wanting and needing and yearning for just something like you know you you drop the f-bomb you you put your you've put your coffee anything just give me something constructive that i can think yeah you know closure for me move on but there are supermarkets old you know i've just i decided 15 years ago i'm never going to shop with them because of the way they treated me for an interview um so that like you said rosie that stuff sticks yeah. I'm, very, I'm a very bitter man um so there are there are things he is, he recruiter. is. <laughs> and recruit as well i think because typically i remember going through the stage of well you know recruiter you put me forward for that can i get some feedback and they just go silent on you i think like fuck you why would why am i going to yeah. deal with you and i'm going to if anyone asks me um what do i think of that recruiter what am i going to tell them i'm going to tell and, and that company and it you know that that pyramid and knowledge everyone knows eight people or whatever or you're eight people away from someone yeah both degrees of separation is it yeah yeah Yeah. so i mean this go on 
No, go on. So I, I was going to move on to something else. Did you? Did you? No, just, just to close, just say, look, from from going looking for that feedback from the recruiter from the company but also like we're back to one of the earlier points we talked about when somebody applies for a job like networking is key because the first thing you do is i go onto linkedin or i'll ask people oh you're you're number one connected to this dude or girl what do you know about them oh shit oh good right cool done you can you can quickly filter out people there so never piss people off and if you do like make it up to them or fig- figure out a way to um you know kind of salvage some of that relationship never never leave do, a bit done. do do not do not burn your bridges and um, i mean one of the other things i just wanted to to touch on towards the end as well probably a bit of a two-part question is one element is diversity and the, the 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 diversity element that we're seeing being hired and i've seen people do this very wrong and it'd be interesting to see how we we do it right i'll i'll, I'll not mention this company by name but there was a, a company who were looking at, at a referral fee. And if you referred somebody that was male, you got $2,000. If you referred somebody that was female, you got $5,000. Now, I see what they were trying to do, but it just felt wrong. Especially Why when you're... Why women worth more? It just didn't sit comfortably. It felt like they were trying, but but not quite necessarily hit, hitting the mark. And I guess, as I said, part of the two-part question is really from a CV perspective as well, what people are putting on their CVs and um, how we can kind of structure those. I think I've still got my GCSEs listed on the bottom of my CV. I should probably change that now because that was 35 years ago. Um, but it, the, 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 the way in which people are structuring their CVs, how they're looking to get into, into things, is there any kind of big pitfalls there? And then from a hiring perspective, you know, what can we do to help with that diversity within the industry? Yeah, okay, I'll, I'll shoot quickly. And then this is obviously Rosie's area of expertise, but I, I view a lot of CVs and I flat out i've got a hard rule grammar spelling mistakes eh, in the bin i'm sorry uh, if you can't represent yourself on two pa- if it's 10 pages well in the bin but if you can't represent yourself well on two or three pages and have someone review your cv I, I i'm happy to review anyone's cv and i have done for people i either mentor or or people who've just said hey you, you look like you've got half a brain which is fairly accurate can you review my seat absolutely yeah the format it looks good but there's some spelling mistakes number one cardinal sin never never do that I definitely agree with like CVs. Spelling mistakes shouldn't be in there. Grammatical mistakes shouldn't be in there. What's your? I'm gonna like just ask you another question. What's your view on if somebody's working towards a cert, should they put it on a CV? Because I think they should. I think everyone is working towards something. It's tricky. I think maybe if you're if it's junior shows ambition, but for senior, if, you know, if you've been in the industry 15 years and you say working towards something, it seems like a bit of a cop out to me. But I'll I'll, I'll make notes, you know, lots of notes on a CV. And that'd be one of the first things you'd expect me to ask. How long have you been studying for it? What book have you read? Oh, have you read? And I'll do some, if I don't know it, I'll do some research. Oh, have you read this book yet? No, I've not heard of that. You know, my bullshit detector is very, you know, very quick to fire early on. So, um, yeah, having, I don't, to be honest, I don't, search is a big topic of conversation, but they are, they're not something I focus on, to be honest. I have them and my, I did them for me, but. I'd say candidates, do you want to work for an employer that mandates a period of time in the industry and these certs? Because I don't, because they they are they're I'd always push it back as well to say, well, I'm working towards that cert. Are you happy to pay for the exam? You know, if if, yeah. if it's on if it's on a job spec, what if somebody's got 10 years experience and hasn't done the certification? Will you pay for them if it's that important to you? And then that's yeah. also a bonus to sell to somebody. I think uh, as well, Rosie, it, it's like I, I'm going for that cert. Will you pay for the maintenance fee of that? 
because yes. it's a professional certification and that's something you definitely and I, I'd like to hear that you're like oh yeah I'd love to I'd love to keep you staying in you know professional and honing your skills that's that's that shows passion desire you know longevity all of those good things so yeah hell yeah ask that question yeah um so diversity two thousand five thousand yeah I, I made I made the joke that women are worth more I can understand why they're doing that but you're going to you're going to have people chasing the money to find women to recommend in mm-hmm. and are those people the best people to be selling to women why you're a great place to work so if you have amazing women in your business already you should be encouraging them if they want to to go out speak at events speak at conferences go out and engage with ladies hacking society host the ladies hacking society meetup go out and engage with you know tech vets if, if you're hiring military hires go out and go into the afsia community so afsia is like a um, anybody can go you don't have to be ex-military but they have regular meetups london's the biggest chapter and it's all about cyber and they're hosted by pwc will host one then bt will host one and the reason they're doing that is because they want to hire that talent pool so that should be your strategy for hiring more women or whatever your diversity target is um i understand i do understand paying referral fees because you should you should have your current employees should be your best representatives in the market to go out and sell where you're a great place to work and you should then encourage them to do that and reward them if they hire somebody because what's the average recruitment fee for a cyber role probably between eight and 15k um, you, you know, you save them, even if you pay them a grand a placement, two grand a placement, still, it's still saving a lot of money. And they're also encouraged to keep doing that. Um, there are ways we can attract more women. And if somebody says to me, I want to hire more women, my instant response is, why? Because actually, if it's just a diversity target, what are you already doing to attract women? And I'll talk about things like paternity and maternity leave because it's not just for one you should you know mix mix parental leave and you've got flexible working and that again is not just for women child child rearing responsibilities are a two-part or should be a two-part thing you know school pickups and things like that what's the environment like already what's the progression like what's the support like do you offer things like do you have women's employee female leadership groups do you have women support groups like internally like women networks are they are you already engaging with people like Ladies Hacking Society? Are you taking out the desirable skills on your job adverts and your job job adverts? Actually, just use your essential skills because women typically will look at a role if they don't match 80-90% of the criteria, including desirable, they won't apply. Whereas a man, there's some scientific evidence about this, a man will apply if they hit 50% of the criteria. So take off your desirable. Um, there's loads of things you can do to attract more women. But it's not just attraction, it's retention. So when you hire these wonderful new women, how are you including them in your business? Have you checked that there's no microaggressions that happen in meetings? Um, have you checked, you know, have you got diversity training? Are you calling out bad behaviours uh, internally? Are they going to be accepted and respected and grow and develop within your business? It's not just attraction, it's retention, else we're constantly filling a leaky bucket. And if you hire somebody, you hire a senior professional they will have their own network so they will then hire more women if you're a great place to work but if you aren't a great place to work and it is a diversity hire and you just you know you, you're worried about your gender pay gap because we have to report on that again now that stopped post-covid so companies that have gone 
the opposite way than they should have with the gender pay gap will obviously soon be very trolled in the media. It'll be coming out again in I think April is the reporting date. So by May, we'll know which have gone the wrong way. The gender pay gap bottles will start again, which is quite a, quite a cool thing. Um, they will then feed that back into the industry. I was a diversity hire. I got treated really badly by X, Y, Z. Uh, there was misogyny, whatever. You know, that toxicity will come out there. So it's not like a sticky plaster, I want to hire more women. Great. Why? What are you already doing before you go out? Because don't go out into that marketplace. And it's like any marketplace, whether it's women, men, whether it's LGBTQ, are you a great place to work? Are you an inclusive employer? Because actually having all of those things that are important to women are also important to men, are also important to Gen Z geriatric millennials or whatever we are nowadays i think i'm a geriatric or someone called it a vintage millennial which i quite like rather than a geriatric millennial um they're important to everybody in this new work place that we're we want post-covid i think as well one of the tips you gave me actually rosie when i was hiring and said this is the job spec what do you think and you said um yeah why don't you have a, a female like you know the, the, of the snapshot of the of the recruit you know in the in the job offering it was like brilliant like you know we like, we can feed that back we as an industry need to get better at thinking about like this you know what what is what we're representing i i, I just looked at the words and that's a, a typical thing to kind of do look at the words whereas you looked at the holistically you're you're advertising it with a with a bloke there um so if you want to hire more diverse talent start with that not just focus on you get more money if you recruit a female into the industry that's, that's i don't i'm not convinced that's the right behavior no uh, one of the things i, I do do uh, i have done is help companies to review their hiring even if they you know they have their own hiring i've consulted before and done like half a day's work or a day's work or uh, to, to review recruitment processes when people want to hire different talent so that, that that is something i'm happy to do but i also do like like give up a lot of time for free and happy always happy to review things for for friends you're helping us with caps lock i'll happily look at your job adverts and say you need to do this this and this and it's up to it's like anything it's up to you if you listen advice is advice is always there you don't have to take advice that's always my first question if somebody says i want to hire more women great why what are you already doing yeah that's no, a, a, a very good point and, and we kind of come full circle because we're, we're back talking about networking and you, you know how you're interacting with other people across the industry across the business across various different aspects there which are, which i think is great um Conscious that we've come towards the end. Now, one of the things I, I think I kind of mentioned in the email that I sent to you was, you know, we have this kind of section at the end for, for Sock's sake, where we have something where something has happened and you just kind of, you know, bash your hands on the table and go, oh, for fuck's sake. Do you, I, I mean, I'm kind of looking at Rosie here because I, I know a lot of, of, of Paddy's, Paddy's kind of frustrations, but is there anything really that we can kind of finish off with where you've seen something that's that's really gone massively wrong or something that, that you could kind of put into that? Oh, for fuck's sake, bracket. I I don't tend to get that angry. Um, but there was, there was, I looked at things in the news. There was something that came out from Rishi about maths and encouraging maths up to the age of 18. And I was just like, that's a bit weird. Why are we encouraging people to keep studying maths? Are we, are we looking for like new 16 year olds to fix the economy or something? And I actually think he's looking at, I understand education. He's looking at that wrong. Actually, what we should be teaching 16-year-olds, 16, 17-year-olds, whether they go into carry on in education, whether they go into apprentices, is cybersecurity awareness. Like we are we have the most digitally native 
teenagers coming into the market. If we encourage everybody, it shouldn't it shouldn't be optional to do IT. It should not be optional to do cybersecurity at education level because if you think of like people who go into vocational um, industries, hairdressers, you know, tattoo artists, barbers, uh, mechanics, why do they need to keep learning maths? What they actually need is to be safe online. They need to have some security savviness. That will help. That will have a much better impact on the whole of the UK, not just people who are coming into, you know, he talked about big data. And I think the article said, you know, maths is so important. I'm like, well, you, you, what? that was something that really got my go, I suppose. Um, yeah. And then the other thing was what I mentioned earlier. Uh, the, uh, the the salaries on adverts mm-hmm. when I gave somebody some free advice to help yeah. them attract more that was just like <laughs> just completely great. shot you down yeah <laughs> yeah like, I'm trying to help <laughs> you'll get more applicants yeah that, that that's that's probably mine there, there will always be recruitment rants there'll be people who hate recruiters there'll be people who hate clients there'll be people who hate candidates um but that that was my that's weird. Why is he thinking about maths? Has he got some kind of like backhander with some maths tutor somewhere? Or, you know, but probably backhanders. Yeah, <laughs> I think it's probably a good place to stop before we get ourselves into trouble. Um, look, really appreciate your time, Rosie, Paddy. Uh, thank you very much indeed. It's been a fantastic uh, hour or so chatting to you um, on on this one. So look, uh, appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank, thank you, Paddy.